There was me, there was Diesel, and there was Mad Dog. We all did our piece at different times, and I was the last to come out. Once you are in, staying out is all but impossible. That's him. Hey, bro, look at this. This ain't no cop car. These chaps decided to throw me a welcome home party. Come on, the fuck? You got a bottom of the fuck? Massage. You're gonna get us some real work because this is no kind of lie. Stick forever. So what's the good? Kid's sky. It's got a one-year-old out in the heights. I need you to snatch him. I don't know, man. Kid's still a baby. He ain't never gonna know. If he was four or something, I'd never be doing that. You wouldn't do that. This is the game plan. Big job for us. Baby napping. No, that don't sound so good. It's not, and I'm not saying it is. There's a gig and there's a lot of money at the end. Run away to Hawaii. It never works out. I think it does sometimes. You just don't know about it because they run off to Hawaii and you don't ever hear from them again. You have absolutely no idea how to control your emotions. Just take our money. We won't say anything. We're going to call the police the minute he gets away. No, we are not. Justice. Am I under arrest? I just wanted what I wanted. Just like everyone. Well, you guys are so Oh, you scared me. <laughs> Why? Am I scary? You feel like you got problems? Then I started thinking. Once you've had money, you're never 100% sure who your friends are. We are not going to go down. It's got to be samurai style. Jackie Chan. Hello and welcome to The Complete Works, an in-depth look into the career and filmography of Nicolas Cage. My name is Mike Smith. Joining me on this journey into the depths of true cagedom is my friend, co-host, and fellow Cageaholic. Mike Tacrecio. How you doing today, Mike? I'm doing good today. Uh, you know, there's big things happening in, in our lives, my life, new jobs, stuff. You know, yes. it's exciting. Yeah, you're starting a new job in a couple of weeks. That is a, that is pretty exciting, actually. Yeah, uh, that's that's cool. What about you, Mike? How are you doing? I'm good. I'm super tired. I was at a uh, concert in, uh, last night. I was three hours away, so I drove back and went to work the next morning, uh, which, of course, I host a morning show, so I had to wake up super early for that. Uh, so I got about two hours of sleep last night. Um, perfect. So that can't go wrong at yes. all. <laughs> uh, and so I've kind of been sleepwalking through the day. Was able to take a brief nap before uh, reconvening for this podcast. So that was good. I think I have just enough energy to talk about Nicolas Cage movies for an hour and then pass out. Uh, <laughs> just go straight to sleep. <laughs> just go straight to sleep. Not even hang up the Skype call. Just like immediately just <laughs> slam my face on the keyboard and then I'm done. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. That's all we ask of you, Mike. Uh, were you excited about the movie we were talking about today, Mike? Yes, but also no. But also because I didn't really know anything about it. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't blame you if you weren't that excited about it because, you know, the last time Nicolas Cage made a movie with director Paul Schrader, uh, that was in 2014. It was called Dying of the Light and it was not very good. We talked about that movie, mm. right? <laughs> Yes, I do remember. <laughs> yes, I mean that, that's a movie that uh, I feel like I've forgotten almost everything about. But it is a—it's an interesting movie because you know it was famously taken away from Schrader in the final edit. You know, Cage, Schrader, co-star Ant Yelchin, and producer Nicholas Winding Refn uh, protested the release of the movie and made it clear that it wasn't representative of Schrader's vision. Uh, and the result was a truncated, like somewhat flat movie in which you can see the seams of something interesting under the surface that just can't quite break out. And it was. A very dull viewing experience as well, so that's also a problem. Uh, but Schrader's next film also starred Cage, and it's the one we're talking about today. And perhaps his experience on Dying of the Light inspired Schrader to go all out on this one, because this is Schrader Unleashed. Uh, <laughs> today we are talking 2016's dark comedy crime film, Dog Eat Dog. Now, would you, did you know anything about the, you, you say You're saying you didn't know anything about this movie going in. No, I feel like I remember hearing about it when it came out, uh, just because like, we were in the throes of, of complete works by then. Sure, yes. So, uh, And I remember you mentioning that it was Cage with Schrader, and that, I think that's all I knew about it. Okay, so you, you didn't even know that Willem Dafoe was in this movie. 
No. Not until I got to the, the Netflix, uh, like, thumbnail, and I was like, that's Willem Dafoe. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. So, uh, watching Doggy Dog, it is amazing to me that this is the same guy who made First Reform just two years later, uh, which was this very wonderfully restrained movie with uh, with a really, like, passionate Ethan Hawke performance. Uh, this is a movie that feels like Schrader had a million ideas, and they were all insane, and he put them all in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, the film jumps from color to black and white at a moment's notice. It's got at least three uh, fast edited drug montages. Um, <laughs> plenty of graphic violence, lots of distasteful jokes, uh, some wacko performances at the center of it. Uh, the score is sometimes a remix of dialogue from earlier in the movie, uh, which was incredible. And uh, Paul Schrader himself plays a supporting role in the movie uh, as Greco the Greek. Uh, Schrader uh, getting something done for cheap and reveling in that exploitation sleaze. Uh, and I really dug that about this movie, honestly. I had a blast with, <laughs> with Doggy Dog. Uh, but we'll get to our actual thoughts on the movie in a minute. Uh, the film centers on three criminals, uh, all recently released from prison, who decide to pull off one last big job so they can get enough money to retire. <laughs> that never goes wrong. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, Nicholas Cage is the leader of those criminals, a guy named Troy, who is the first to want to do the job. He's joined by Mad Dog, played by Willem Dafoe who is just going absolutely bug nuts in this movie. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a pretty, it's, if you're a fan of Willem Dafoe, like if we were doing a complete works of Willem Dafoe, this would be like, like a top tier, uh, <laughs> Dafoe performance. It's insane. Uh, and of course, Willem Dafoe also starred with Cage once before in David Lynch's Wild at Heart way back in the day, Mike. Wow, I forgot that was him. Right? Yeah, you're right. Isn't yeah. that crazy? Uh, the other criminal, Diesel, is played by Christopher Matthew Cook, who, according to Wikipedia, was on The Walking Dead during Season 5. Uh, I watched The Walking Dead during Season 5, and, you know, I mean, the characters of The Walking Dead are generally pretty forgettable, so I don't remember seeing him in The Walking Dead Season 5, but he is there, apparently. Uh <laughs> A ringing endorsement from, from yeah, the really works. Uh, Omar Dorsey, who you may recognize from movies like The Blind Side and Django Unchained, uh, plays Moon Man. Paul Schrader himself, like I mentioned before, appears as Greco the Greek, who gives Cage and his crew their jobs. Apparently, uh, Schrader approached a variety of people to play this role, including Quentin Tarantino, uh, which would have been crazy. Martin Scorsese also was approached to play uh, Greco the Greek. Michael Douglas, Nick Nolte, Jeff Goldblum, and Christopher Walken. Uh, but couldn't make scheduling work with any of them, so he decided to just play it himself to avoid going over, oh, to avoid going over budget. Uh, Louisa Krauss, who was in the main cast of the Girlfriend Experience TV series of Stars, uh, she plays Zoe, who I think was the girl um, Diesel takes up to his room for a brief scene in the movie. Uh, uh, yes. While Melissa Bologna, who starred in the Hurricane Heist, plays Lena. Did you see the Hurricane Heist? Uh, do you no. do you remember that movie? I never actually saw the movie, but the trailer made me want to watch it really bad because it's about a group of criminals who try to pull off a heist in the middle of a hurricane. <laughs> I mean, it's right there in the title. Right. No, no, I, I <laughs> from, do not. From remember the director that. of the original Fast and the Furious, also, uh, oh and it came, it came out in like 2018, got terrible reviews, but like part of me still wants to see it. Like I, I would have gone. To, like I, I remember wanting to go see that movie, and like I had a movie pass at the time, and I was like ready to go. But there was like ten, yeah. other, there was like ten other movies out that I had to go see first. Like Hurricane Heist was not super high up on the list, so oh man, unfortunately, it just didn't happen. But yeah, Hurricane Heist, it's out there. There was a movie about a group of criminals that try to pull up a heist in the middle of a hurricane, and one day. I will watch it. Uh, now, Doggy Dog was written by Matthew Wilder and based on a novel by Edward Bunker. Uh, Paul Schrader was the director and made the movie two years after his previous film, Dying of the Light, and two years before his next, the critically acclaimed First Reformed, which we just mentioned before. Uh, Cage, of course, had worked with Schrader in the past, once as director with Dying of the Light, and once as a writer with uh, Martin Scorsese's Bringing Out the Dead. Uh, now, Doggy Dog got a limited theatrical release on November 4th, 2016, and then hit video on demand a week later. Uh, it grossed about $69,000 in theaters. Nice. Uh, and, <laughs> and if you weren't seeing it in theaters that weekend, you were probably seeing the new Marvel movie. Doctor Strange came out that day, Mike. Uh-huh. Yeah. Look at that. Uh, I went to go see that at the Alamo Drafthouse in Yonkers back in the day. Uh, nice. You could have also seen Trolls, which uh, is a movie that also exists and inflicted mm-hmm. that Justin Timberlake song upon the world. Or you could have seen uh, Mel Gibson's comeback as a director. The World War II drama Hacksaw Ridge uh, opened up that weekend, too. Wow, Doggy Dog never stood a chance. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it did not open in nearly as many theaters as any of those movies did. <laughs> True, yeah, true. Uh, the IMDb plot synopsis for Dog Eat Dog reads, A crew of ex-cons are hired by a Cleveland mafioso to kidnap the baby of a rival mobster. Uh, so, Mike, now that that's all out of the way, what are your overall thoughts on Dog Eat Dog? So, my overall thoughts on Dog Eat Dog are that 
I think I love this movie. I'm not really <laughs> sure. I am so uh, glad you said that because I had the exact same reaction. <laughs> yeah. So it, it opens, right, with this kind of just everything is pink, like fluorescent pink. And yes. it's just Willem Dafoe doing a lot of coke, uh, <laughs> watching like a daytime or, or like a news broadcast about gun control. Yeah. And I was like, this, one, this is peak Schrader, first off. <laughs> I've seen about two of his movies and I know this is peak Schrader. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And uh, and it just goes further from there, and I was like, "What the fuck?" I think like I think this is a masterpiece. I'm not really sure. <laughs> it is just balls to the walls surrealism, and like you said, just uh, somebody that is a, a like tried and true screenwriter. Even though Trader didn't write this, like or, or filmmaker, I'll say, yeah, just like having like knowing exactly what he wants, and we're just gonna do it the way I say we're gonna do it, and it's gonna be weird as hell. And no, I don't care what anyone thinks. And he's got a cast that's like, fuck, yes. They all are on that level. They're all doing it. If you, you remember that one scene in Spider-Man when the Green when Willem Dafoe has that conversation in the mirror with himself? Yes. It's that for two hours. And it's, <laughs> it's amazing. It's so good. He's incredible in this Oh, movie. my God. He's so good. Yeah, I had a blast with uh, Dog Eat Dog. It is just such a nasty movie. Uh, it's a, <laughs> it really is. It's a, you know, a piece of B-movie schlock, and I was all about it. It feels like Schrader just going all out, having fun with the most despicable people in the world. And by extension, Ugh. I was also having fun with these despicable people. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, and Cage is Cage, and he gets his own great moments. But, yeah, Willem Dafoe just completely steals this movie. He is insane. Uh, and supposedly, like, the reason he's in it, Cage actually, I, I think Dafoe was actually hesitant about being in the movie. Cage gave $100,000 of his own salary to Willem Dafoe. What? To convince him to star in this movie, yeah. Holy shit. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. So Cage was all about it, and Willem Dafoe had, was a little bit hesitant. I, I can see why he'd be hesitant. There's a lot of, like, really, like, racy and, like, horrible shit that goes down. This movie, this yeah. movie opens, like you said, with uh, Willem Dafoe uh, on this massive coke binge, uh, watching this uh, thing about gun control, ki- slashing this woman's throat and then killing her daughter, her, like, 13-year-old daughter. <laughs> And, yeah, and that's the first like five minutes of the movie, and I think it might even be before the opening credits. Yes, like, the title card. <laughs> that's it's like a smash, like it's a smash cut to the title card from that scene. Yeah, yeah, uh, and that like sets the tone immediately. And yeah, Willem Dafoe just I, I can't I I don't even know how to describe him in this movie. It's it's such a weird juxtaposition that he has where he's he's playing the most insane, most horribly violent person possibly ever put on film. Um, <laughs> But like he's also he's playing it as if he's like an innocent, right? He's play, he's playing yeah. he's playing the role as if he like with this like naive simplicity uh, that I just I found so fascinating to watch. Like <laughs> it, it's like if Lenny from Of Mice and Men was a serial killer and like right. on purpose though. <laughs> you, know like? you know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> That's kind of what he's doing. It's a hundred percent that. Yeah. Nick and Paul got this uh, film together and they invited me to join them. Um, I had a connection, Daddy Bunker, because I met him. I worked with him on one of his novels. I made a film called Animal Factory that Steve, Steve Buscemi directed. And that was a really good experience. So when I heard Nick, Paul, I've worked with Paul, I think this is my seventh time. Um, you know, it was like, uh, sure. The reason for me not wanting to do Mad Dog was that I... I felt that I wanted to try something with the Troy character and um, wanted to make him... It appealed to me because I thought it would, I could play with the character in the sense that he wanted to be something that he wasn't. Uh, the Mad Dog character, I, I just... At that point in my life, I, I wasn't ready to play that part. And I'm glad Willem played it, you know, so that's how that worked out. I often wonder where the top is. People tell me, well, that's over the top. And I say, well, you show me where the top is, and I'll tell you whether or not it's, I'm over it, you know. It's bizarre. It's so wild. And, I mean, <laughs> you know, for sure, uh, you know, it's got that kind of grime schlock thing going on. Yes. Which, uh, you know, we are big fans of, <laughs> of in general. But I do, I do feel weird and uncomfortable with, like, all the casual racism that goes on in this movie. And I just want to bring it up because it, it's like there's... Uh, I mean, it's Schrader doing Schrader, I guess. I don't, yeah. I don't know. These guys are villains. Like they're not, they're not like protagonists by any. <laughs> you can't make that case at all. Yeah, but yeah. there's just there's so many other ways that we are shown they're evil people that I don't need. We, I don't know. We need all that stuff going on. Uh, but th- like you cut that out, 
and this movie is like pretty perfect you know? <laughs> <laughs> okay interesting yeah i mean i yeah it's obviously that stuff is uncomfortable but it's also it's meant to be like it's it's one of those things, yeah i mean I know, get they're it. like they're terrible people like it's it's very quickly established these are the worst people like ever yeah uh, and so like all their casual racism and stuff like it's it's bad and it can be uncomfortable but it's also it, I, I felt like it made sense for all those characters to be oh that yeah way. i mean for sure it's um, just like a weird thing that i wanted to point out <laughs> yeah <laughs> definitely weird. yeah uh what did you think of nicholas cage and doggy dog mike this is the k role cage was born to play no <laughs> um but in a way like but kind of <laughs> No, what was my my old canned response? It's kind of like the natural progression of Cage's role. No, that was the... That's, uh, yeah. It has yeah, it fit into his yeah. own role. It was the natural progression of Nicolas Cage. You used that in, like... You used that for, like, 20 episodes in a row at one point. <laughs> and you kind of you kind of backed off that in recent in recent months. But, uh... Yes. Yeah, it's always nice to see I'm bringing it, it back for yeah. this one. Uh, but, yeah, Cage is just incredible. And, and, it, and it's... Man, I wish I wish we had gotten to see Dying of the Light the way it was meant to be now. Yes. <laughs> Having seen this and what it became and what, what Cage and Schrader together could make. Right. Uh, and we well, instead, Dying of the Light is so sad now. <laughs> I mean, it was already pretty sad to begin with. It was already. But, uh, but, uh, but I remember Cage's performance in Dying of the Light being really good and interesting. Uh, and this, I think, uh, also captures like some really good Cage stuff. He's, I think Cage is great in the movie. He's not as unhinged as Willem Dafoe. But he's definitely Nicolas Cage, you know? He's, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. He has a lot of moments, uh, you know, where he just kind of has weird inflections or uh, weird character tics. His, like, he... That one of the big things about his character that he keeps referring back to is his love of Humphrey Bogart in classic film. Yeah. Uh, and he mentions it to um, the prostitute that he's seeing. He's talking to like, oh, you know, uh, have you ever watched movies of Humphrey Bogart, Marlon Dietrich? And then later, uh, in a meeting with Gregor the Greek, he's like, you know, when I was in college, people used to tell me I looked like Humphrey Bogart just with a, my face stretched out or whatever. And then at the end of the movie, like the entire last like ten minutes, he's just doing a Humphrey Bogart impression. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, it's incredible. Edwin G. Robinson going on. Like, yes. Yeah, I, I love that. It was, uh, or, you know, like you said, throughout the whole film, he's referencing, like, oh, yeah, and James Cagney, and, like, all these old gangster films that he loves. And then it's, he just does it. Yes. <laughs> for the last 10 minutes. <laughs> and it, it sort of feels like that, that last, like, 10 minute scene where we see Cage doing the Humphrey Bogart impression while he's uh, carjacking the couple. It, it really, it made me feel, it felt like the origin for what we saw with uh, Spider Man to the Spider Verse, where he's playing Spider Man Noir. Whoa! Uh, like it was, it was that same voice. It was the same voice that he's doing in the in, yeah. both, in both movies. It's it's a Humphrey Bogart impression. It's amazing. Maybe the casting director of that movie saw this and was like, "Get me Nicolas Cage on the phone." <laughs> Slams his hand on the table. Like, Get me Cage. Yeah. Bring me pictures, pictures of, of Spider Man. Spider-Man. <laughs> Got God there at the same time. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Cage is great in this movie. Again, not as unhinged as Defoe, but definitely just the weird Cage ticks that you love. It's it's a really good role for Cage, especially at this point in his career. Uh, you know, yeah. a 2016 video on demand Cage movie, and I will say, like you know, there was a rough patch. We were going through a lot of really bad movies, but uh, you know, we've had we had the Trust a couple episodes ago, and we mm-hmm. had uh, Pay the Ghost, which I think most people would say is bad, but we kind of enjoyed. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, you know, uh, movies like that, and yeah, we've had, we're, there's still bad movies for sure. There was you know the Runner and. USS Indianapolis, but I feel like we're starting to see the beginnings of the Cage comeback. You know, yeah, like we're we're seeing a lot, some more interesting movies being made uh, in recent episodes, uh, yeah. and that's pretty cool. Uh, and Cage, I think, does a great job here. He uh, he plays like the leader of the team, but kind of just barely holding the team together. Like it's very clear that like you know one wrong move will set this whole thing ablaze. Uh, and yeah. and he does a good job of kind of portraying that, where he's like really stressed out but trying to keep his cool. And uh, yeah, he's great in the movie. Yeah, I do love that, you know, that whole um, dichotomy of him him thinking he's Humphrey Bogart in all these movies, and very clearly, this is a house of cards that he's going to mess up, Uh, (laughs) and it's going to go terribly. So let me ask you something. Do you think I look like Humphrey Bogart? No. Well, you see, that's interesting, because I'm a big film buff. Bogart was the best, the king. When I was in the joint, there was a movie producer who was in there with me, and I, I says to him, I says, do you think I look like Humphrey Bogart? And he says, well, yeah, you do, but a stretched-out version of him. It's a fantastic story. So where are your boys? I don't bring them stuff like this. No? Nah, they just know what they need to know. Okay. Shall we order a bottle of wine? Yeah, 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 that sounds good. So Greco tells me you're a heavy guy. 
I'm not referring to your weight. I mean that apparently you are a gentleman of some power and influence. Yeah, well, I try my best. It is a shitty economy out there, so we all got to work overtime all the time. I heard that. Right. Yeah. And, I, and I love, like, you know, the, the way that that kind of is telegraphed, right? Like, later, it, one of the first, you know, the first job they pull where they, like, uh, knock over that guy, the, the drug uh, house or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and they get the cop car and they show that, like, wide shot of the cop car and it's very clearly police taped. Like it's onto the side of the car, and yes. it's not even, and it's just like so good. And you're yeah. like, oh man, these guys are just bumbling. It's 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 this movie is almost raising Arizona, but with more cursing. That's you know and honestly, like, yeah. When I was about to say the roles, how does this role fit into the roles we've seen Cage play so far? My first thing is this is the much darker version of Raising Arizona. Um, yeah, because they're both movies about Cage kidnapping babies. Um. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it, I was going to say, it, it sort of reminds me of like a Coen Brothers thing where it's like these incompetent criminals uh, kind of doing their thing. But I, then I remembered, <laughs> I was like, oh, wait, Cage already did that. It's Raising Arizona. It's the same plot. <laughs> yeah. No, almost. It, like you, you could make Raising Arizona in the style of this movie with Cage still as his character and replace Willem Dafoe and um, Christopher Matthew Cook with uh, John Goodman and, Williams, and William Forsythe from that movie. Yeah. Uh, and it would be very like dark and it'd probably be hilarious, but, uh, it would, <laughs> but that's, it's kind of the, the vibe that we're going, that we're getting here. But yeah, this is a much darker version of Raising Arizona. Uh, do you think this role fits into other cage roles from the past, Mike? Uh, well, it's more like criminal underworld movies, uh, or another criminal underworld movie, uh, which we've gotten a lot, I think now <laughs> in this, especially video on demand era of cage. Sure. Yep. Um, and all, all the, that trilogy that I can't remember all the names of, uh, the where weird. it was stole, stolen and uh, oh, uh, trespass was trespass yep. one of them and seeking trespass justice. And despite starring in Rage, he's still just Nicholas Cage. <laughs> that one. There it is. Uh, yes, this, <laughs> usually I'm the one who goes for that, so I appreciate that uh, <laughs> you, you threw one in there, uh, too. Um, but yeah, yeah, Rage is a criminal underworld movie, Stolen also, and uh, yeah, I, honestly, uh, this movie, the movie this reminded me the most of was The Trust, um, which came out in, yeah. the sa- in the same year as this one, actually, too. I think they would make a great double feature, both, you know, dark comedy crime films featuring Cage that go in some pretty insane directions. Uh, you know, I think they'd be a lot of fun to watch back to back. Uh, yeah. And they're both on Netflix, so that's very easily attainable, actually. Uh, just throwing that out there. <laughs> there you go. It, it's interesting, too, that he's kind of Cage, you know, as much as Cage can be. He's sort of the straight man in this movie, <laughs> next yeah. to Willem Dafoe. Yes. Uh, I mean, yeah, Willem Dafoe is absolutely the manic guy jumping off the walls. And by comparison, Cage is the straight man. But Cage is still, you know, obviously doing that weird Humphrey Bogart thing. Uh, yeah. He has, like, the lines where he's, uh, he just, like, shouts out, Gonna take your tits off! And, like, that's... <laughs> <laughs> and you know weird shit like that um but yeah compared to willem dafoe yes nicholas cage is like the straight man of the movie <laughs> which you know normally cage is in that dafoe uh role right these no, kind of things willem dafoe is nicholas cage in deadfall in this movie yes that's, yes that's Holy what shit. it is <laughs> you're exactly correct and uh, for everyone playing along at home that's the lobster claw movie that is the lobster claw movie <laughs> from way way back in the day i'm honestly considering rewatching deadfall before we get to arsenal um, because, yeah, I mean, Ars- because Arsenal is like a sort of semi-sequel to Deadfall in a weird way, where Nicolas Cage is in it, sort of playing the same character, even though his character in Deadfall dies. But death by <laughs> death by Friar, if you recall correctly. Yes, that's right. <laughs> uh, so I, I don't expect Arsenal to address that at all. Um, but Why would you expect it to? Yeah, no, absolutely no not. But uh, but I'm, I'm really curious. I, I, I'm just thinking, like, maybe I should rewatch Deadfall. And I don't I don't know if I want to subject myself to that. I might just watch some clips on YouTube or something to get the feel yeah. for it again. Uh, but, yeah. Anyway, let's get back to Dog Eat Dog. Uh, any moments or scenes in the movie that stood out to you, Mike? Uh, well, for sure, that, that extended Humphrey Bogart uh, impersonation at the end there. Of course, yeah. No, no, the whole Bogart thing was not in the script. And... Uh, uh, Nick had sort of fashioned his character on uh, a guy who liked Humphrey Bogart. And I, I wasn't that crazy about that. But I wasn't going to pick a fight with him. I could cut, I cut it out in, in, in the editing. And, and then we talked about the ending. And he said, I don't get this ending. Me and the black couple, why? How did I ever escape? Uh, what's that whole ending about? Uh, you know, why am I still alive? I said, well, maybe you're not. Maybe it's an afterlife sequence. 
And uh, so when we came to do it, we are reading through before shooting on that night. And now he's reading the whole thing as Humphrey Bogart. I go, oh, wow. Hey, you know, Nick, this is, uh, you know, we, we can't afford to do this two different ways. If you're going to do this as Bogart, we're going to be kind of stuck with that. And he said, well, you said maybe he was dead. And if he's dead, he gets to be Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> and I said, yeah, that, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, and he said, you, you've been telling me for five weeks everything about this film should be bold. And I think this is a bold choice. And I said, I think you're right, Nick. And uh, we went out and shot it that way. Uh, which, you know, uh, simultaneously is absolutely hilarious just because it's Nicolas Cage doing that <laughs> doing yes. that Humphrey uh, Bogart thing. But also it feels like, uh, especially when you couple it with the opening scene with the gun control uh, stuff, and then couple it with First Reformed, you got, like, just Schrader so angry about everything all the yes. time. And Dying of the Light, which we saw, like, the hints of in right. there. Uh, but features uh, cops shooting two bl- black people in the car for, while Cage is the one holding the gun. He also dies. But it yes. very clearly is, like, a police brutality thing where uh, I feel like he, st- he initiates it, runs, over, runs away from the car, uh, and the cops begin shooting, just uh, lighting up the car, even though he's nowhere near them and he's the threat with the gun. Right. Uh, it's like, yeah, I see what you're doing there, Schrader. Yeah. I see it. That's interesting. That's Yeah, I, I didn't actually pick up on that, so that's actually a really interesting take. Because um, the, the way I saw it, like, I thought it was like accidental accidental fire, like the f- guns were blazing all over the place and, uh, you know, it hit the, the reverend and his wife and it was like just this weird, tragic, um, like extra thing that happened. But I actually do, I now that you mentioned that, I do agree with that take. That is actually... yeah. Just knowing what we know about Schrader, it seems like, nope, that's on purpose. Yes, and, de- <laughs> de- and definitely bookending it with the, the gun control thing at the beginning and then that at the end. Yes, okay. I definitely see where you come from with that. So, yeah, very yeah. cool. Very good. There, there's your English major analysis coming in. Ha-ha. Coming in hot, Mike. Uh, <laughs> I, I refer to the text as an example of what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, but what else stood out to me? I mean, the, the, the scene I mentioned earlier where they kind of raid the drug house they, they or, you know, rob it. Yeah. And... Uh, that, oh, that I guess that also lends to my, my police brutality thing. I didn't mean to, uh, where they propose this police to pull him over, uh, right? You know, and everyone just goes along with it because that's what happens. Yes, uh, where they arrest him, quote unquote, for no reason. Uh, but yeah, and then it, that's where Willem Dafoe, where he's like, please just let me shoot somebody. And you're like, wait a second. I mean, he's already <laughs> murdered a bunch of people, I guess, at that point. Yeah, again, <laughs> the, the movie opens with him slashing a woman's throat and then killing yeah. her, like, 12-year-old daughter or whatever. Uh, true, true. So there is that also. Like, he's already, he's clearly established as, like, deeply insane from the get-go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then the rest of the movie just kind of backs that up. But again, Dafoe is just, like, he's so, he plays it so innocent. And it's so fascinating yeah. to watch. The, the scene right before Dafoe dies... Um, where he, uh, he like he's taking um, Diesel and they have to bring the dead the, the dead body of the person that Defoe shot, um, who turns out to be the person that was actually supposed to pay him the ransom money, and so things start going haywire. So <laughs> where Cohen Brothers rears their head. Yeah, <laughs> um, they, they're taking that dead body to the place where Defoe dumped the dead body of the woman and the child from the beginning of the movie, uh, and you know he's doing it so matter of factly. He's just like, yeah, it's a place upstate. We'll go and we'll go you know, dump the body there and everything. And while they're there, he's like talking to Diesel and he's like trying to like have a heart to heart with them. And he's like, you know, I really just want to be friends. You know, I want to have the relationship that you you and Troy have and everything. And he, my favorite thing in that exchange is like, you know, he's talking and they, like he's saying like, you know. Okay, what I want to do is I want to have a conversation after this. I want you to write down five character flaws that I have (laughs) and things that I can improve upon. And then they're, like, you know, dumping the body, and the floor gives out from under them, and they fall, and then they, you know, land, and then Defoe just keeps talking. He's just... (laughs) As if nothing has happened. As if they didn't just fall through the floor and land on three dead bodies. Like, he just keeps talking. And it's like, yeah, I really want to improve myself. And then Diesel just kills him because it's... Cause, like somebody should have killed him long ago, <laughs> you basically. Know? Um, but that that whole scene, like that's Defoe just at his at his peak, man. He is great in this movie. Yeah, and it's like really, it's a really long extended. Uh, I don't know if it's quite a monologue, but a uh, really long extended conversation they're having about yes. him trying to improve himself, <laughs> and it's like really heartfelt, despite the fact that they're trying to like hide bodies and stuff. Right, uh, it's like showing some real real character growth. Yeah. And then he just gets killed. <laughs> I mean, real character growth in, like, quotation marks, I think. Because, like, yeah, he's, yeah. he's talking about improving himself, but, like, improving himself from being, like, literally the worst human on the planet. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. 
But yeah, but, but but that gives way to like just some incredible exchanges in the movie. Again, like this is a very dark comedy, and just like there's there's one joke in the movie that I couldn't believe what that they that that they said like they said when they said it, which was uh, when Nicolas Cage picks up the baby and the baby's crying, and Nicolas Cage is, is like, "Where's like where's the thing you put in the baby's mouth? What do you call it?" And Willem Dafoe just looks at him like very earnestly and goes, "A dick." <laughs> yeah. And I was like, "What?" Jesus and he's just was like, no, that's not it. Yeah. <laughs> Very casually. That didn't even phase Nicolas Cage. He was like, no, no. And then he picks up the pacifier and puts it in the yeah. baby's mouth. <laughs> it's like... Ridiculous. Yeah, it was absolutely insane. I did love, too, the... So, like, right after um, uh, Diesel kills Mad Dog, right? And then he calls he calls Troy, he calls Cage, and tells him that he's not... He's coming back alone. Mad Dog is, didn't make it or whatever. And and Cage is like, oh man, we were a family. And then it smash cuts to black and white when they flashback when they were like celebrating in the room and like spraying ketchup and mustard on each other. It's <laughs> like, what the I mean, fuck is going on? Is that not what you do after uh, a good day of work, Mike? I you, guess not. But you I, find, but you I find lo- your two closest friends and you spray all kinds of condiments on them in a bed. Yeah, and just do a bunch of drugs. I guess I don't know. <laughs> But I but I loved how it like the it's, it flashbacks to that uh, and it's it's Defoe being splattered with ketchup and it's like he's he's already shot like what like what is happening and then and then they just cover mustard cage cage and mustard yes and I was like what the fuck I loved it it was so good it makes no sense but it's amazing. <laughs> It's a pretty good. Uh, that's a pretty good summary of this movie. I loved it. It was so good. It makes no sense. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's all we have to say. Uh, one of my other favorite things about the movie is that it, it makes recurring references to Taylor Swift, and I don't yeah. know why. Like I, I have genuinely no idea why it does this. Uh, but basically, the first time they do it, they're um, it's Defoe, Nicolas Cage, and Diesel hanging out at a strip club. You know, they they it's like towards the end of the movie, and that Cage has this voiceover about how he just got out of prison. And Defoe was like talking about his time on the inside and coming out, and he's like, "It's like I don't know anything about the outside world anymore. Like, who the fuck is Taylor Swift?" And like, <laughs> like yeah, that kind of thing. Just, just at, at that point, just it, it feels like it's just a way to like, oh, this is like a big pop culture phenomenon that he completely missed because he was in prison, right? Yeah. Uh, but then, like throughout the movie, there's like, um, you know, there's one point where they pass a strip club again, and there's a big sign for a Taylor Swift lookalike contest. Uh, and then later in the movie, when um, Diesel's at the supermarket, he's, like, th- thumbing through a magazine with Taylor Swift on the cover. And it's like, why? Like, after a while, it's like, why are there so many Taylor Swift references in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> it is super weird, but I thought that was, like, a really interesting way to go about that, like, uh, alienation for, for like, convicts, right? Yes. Or, you know, like, uh, like this, the, it's, it's the exploitation version of that scene in Shawshank Redemption with Red. Is that the character's name? Morgan Freeman. That's, no, no, that's not him. Then uh, the guy that ha- the guy that hangs himself. <laughs> that's been a very long time since I've seen. Trust yeah, <laughs> but he comes out of prison and he writes the suicide note about how like the world moved faster now. Oh yes, in yes, prison yes. for fifty years or whatever. Now there's cars everywhere. Right. Uh, it's the the like shitty version of that. <laughs> and by shitty, I mean like in, in like a character quality way, not yes. like a bad version. This is, but. Um, well, you know, I, I felt to me like you know, the knowing Schrader's history, uh, where he's kind of like that. That scene earlier when, when uh, where Cage, we get the flashback of how he ended up in prison, how he got the coke planted on him, and he steals right. the bailiff's gun, and he gets runs out trying to <laughs> shoot his way out of yes. the courthouse. Yep. And he's like, you know, once you go in, or, you know, you're you're gonna come back, kind of thing. And I was like, oh yeah, I see you like hiding subtle. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, political <laughs> statements inside your exploitation crime movie, Paul Schrader. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, and that's and that's what I think elevates this movie too. It's like it is. I think if it didn't have any of that and it was just like a pretty like bonkers B movie, it would still be really fun and I would like yeah. it a lot. Um, but I think that like you know extra level of commentary kind of gives it a little extra um, that I appreciated too. And uh, again, just some of the exchange of this movie. One of my favorite things in the movie is, you know, when Cage is explaining what the job is to them, and he's, like, saying, like, okay, well, all three of us are in this together, and, we all to, and it, we're all planning on victory, or else we all go down. Like we, and then he, Cage says, we go down, samurai style, and Defoe just, like, looks at him, like, Jackie Chan. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's like, Jackie Chan was never a samurai, and also that's the wrong country. Um, but it was just, <laughs> it's such a, but it was such a perfect, like, character moment for Willem Defoe where he's just like, yeah, that's, that's close enough, I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I... Uh, I, I 
Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, and then later in the movie, um, during the big car chase with uh, Diesel running away from the cops, the score like remixes that speech that Cage has. Like, we go down samurai style, and it plays that as Diesel is dying. And I thought that yeah. was like a fascinating touch. Like That was really cool. Yeah, it almost seems like he crashes the car on purpose so that he dies, right? Or did I just totally misinterpret what was happening? Uh, I didn't. I didn't get that sense, but uh, but okay. maybe. I don't know. It was just weird because it was like you, you don't really see what's going on. He's being shot at, and he ha- and then that starts, and then he, the car like flips or something, and I was right. like, well, like what? <laughs> um, but but I loved that. That was the moment where I was like, oh, Willem Dafoe is just Lenny from Of Mice and Men because. Uh, you know, Diesel saying like, "Oh yeah, you always hear these. That's always how it goes. Like one last job, and then we're gonna fuck off to Hawaii, yeah. and that never works." And he's like, "Well, you know, I always thought you didn't hear from him because they fucked off to Hawaii." <laughs> like, <laughs> Which, no. to be fair, is like not the worst logic in the world, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know, it's either if we, we either all succeed or we all die. You're all gonna die, <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, but yeah, all that stuff was good. And, uh, that whole sequence after Defoe dies too with, um, Cage and Diesel, uh, together and, you know, they're at the supermarket and, you know, the cops show up and, uh, basically it's, it's just like kind of random happenstance that the things happen the way they do. So, uh, Diesel happens to have a gun on him, uh, and so, and a store manager sees it and calls the cops thinking that, you know, he could be starting some trouble and then things escalate from there where they flag Cage's car, Cage comes out of the car, uh, Cage freaks out, punches the lady cop in the face, just like, ugh. Um, and, and then Diesel comes out, sees what's going on, he starts shooting, and the cops start shooting, and it's a, and then it becomes a thing. And so Cage get, kind of gets taken into custody, and Diesel uh, takes off, gets in his car chase, and dies. But then Cage gets um, kind of taken by these two police officers, and they just beat the shit out of him. Yeah. Uh, like, they kind of take him to a like, dark corner and beat the shit out of him, and then they, t- they tie him to their car and start dragging him through the streets. Do we ever see how he gets away from that? I don't think I really remember. I'm not sure. It basically, it's, we, we do that, and then I think from there, it cuts to the diner. Um, yeah, it's like three days later or something, it it's says. It's something like that, and it's in black and white, and it's, it, it almost felt like something out of Twin Peaks or something. I was going <laughs> to say that, yeah. It's David Lynch, it's so weird. It felt very Lynchian. It, had like, it was like the black and white diner. I think it was even like the diner from like 55, or so, like 55 diner, like 1955 style or whatever. And so it just yeah. had that like Mulholland Drive, Twin Peaks style feel. Uh, and then Cage kind of emerges from the bushes and kidnaps the Reverend and the wife, and we already kind of covered that whole sequence. That's when he does the Humphrey Bogart impression. And yeah, at one point, the uh, the Reverend's like, "Do you know who you look like?" Because yeah, <laughs> you, you oh, sound man, like him that. too. Like, <laughs> oh, it's so good. Um, but yeah, but that's I when I was yeah. like, "This is David Lynch." <laughs> <laughs> it, it really, it really felt like like David Lynch had kind of just taken over for a second. It was really weird. And it's and it's all like uh, very foggy and and lit in a way that like all you really see is the car and the people around it. Oh, yes, it's like, oh man, there is is Dale Cooper going to come out and scream? What year is it? <laughs> and, then, and then that'll be it. Oh man, I want to rewatch Twin Peaks. Uh, <laughs> it's such a good show. Maybe that should be our second season of Complete Works. <laughs> Just do a Twin Twin Peaks podcast uh, a couple years after the season aired. It'll be fine. I feel like we missed our window on a Twin Peaks podcast. No, no. No, no. Don't ruin this for me. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, (laughs) Any any other scenes in the movie that you wanted to uh, bring attention to, Mike? I mean, uh, we already kind of talked about the opening scene, so we guess we don't really have to go too much more into it. But just, like, it's just such a a statement, like, to start the movie that way, you know? It's just like the, like, it starts off and it's this weird, like, it's, it's, again, like, the score is kind of remixing things and it's like... You know, Defoe doing coke and everything, and like there's a phone ringing and somebody's talking about cupcakes, uh, yeah. and it's you know it's like uh, the daughter's classmate trying to like call about some kind of cupcake experiment in school, whatever that means. Uh, but like it's remixing that into the score with the gun control thing on TV and the actual music, and then the uh, the woman comes home, Sheila, and she and Defoe clearly have some kind of romantic relationship, and she's like trying to tell him to get the fuck out, but he convinces her he can stay, and then. Uh, she finds a bunch of porn on her computer that he was looking at. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, and so she freaks out, tells him to leave, and then he slashes her throat and then dies. And then that, that sequence where the girl sees it, uh, and he, like, chases her up the stairs, and she, like, gets into the blankets, and he breaks out the door and just shoots her. Like, I'm, like that, was, that was brutal, man. That was, <laughs> yeah. was terrifying. Yeah, I, I mean, I, it was bizarre where he's, like, she's, you know, Sheila's trying to throw him out. And he's like, I can't. My car's in the shop. And she's like, I don't give a fuck. Get out of my house. Yeah. And he's like, I got a suitcase full of guns. What am I supposed to do? And I was like, what a weird fucking detail. <laughs> like, that, like, that's the thing that he's stuck on. Like, right. Where am I going to go? I got a suitcase full of guns. And then, uh, and then he goes and gets one. And I was like, what the yes. fuck? It was so good. I, and, and I just love how 
surreal this movie gets. It's not afraid to just, you know, like you said, we're going to cut to black and white for no real reason. Right. And we're going to do voiceover. It's going to be, it's so weird. Yeah, yeah. It, it jumps around and experiments with its form in really interesting ways. I actually really liked uh, how twisted the sequence was. Uh, so they go to the casino after they pull off their first job. Yes. And they, and they all come back up. Brings, they all bring somebody back to their room, quote unquote. Right. For, and we, for, we for see Cage each one. Foot. Yeah, we see each one. I was, was going to talk about that too. It kind of like juxtaposes like what each character does with these women, right? Yeah. Uh, and so like with Cage and Defoe, they're both bringing prostitutes up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Diesel actually like um, meets a girl at the bar and like sort of impress like you know they hit it off a little bit like he's just talking about how much he wants to like punch the bartender and i guess that was hot to her or whatever so they yeah you know. but yeah I, I like that you know cage is like on a different level from mad dog and um and diesel in this movie where he's like you know he's trying to like he wants to build a life for himself it seems like he wants to get out of the criminal life doesn't really know how to do that exactly but in, in that scene with the prostitutes he's talking to the prostitute about going to france and like yeah. oh would you like to come to france with me and that kind of thing and she has like no idea what he's talking about um <laughs> And that kind of thing. Uh, and in, in that same sequence, you know, Defoe with his prostitute, he, uh, I think the thing was he can't get hard or something. Uh, probably because yeah. of all the drugs, I would imagine. Um, Something along those lines. And so he gets angry and kicks her out and yells at her and she, like, leaves. Uh, and then the the scene with Diesel is, like, genuinely terrifying. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's real, it's real scary. I mean, they, and it's, it's almost like, you know, it's interesting at first, right? Because the girl's, like, just puts on some music and she starts talking about Elliot Smith. Uh, and they start talking about like how um, he died, like he died and everything, and like or was Elliot Smith like yeah, what, yeah 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 they talk about how Elliot Smith died and like you know all that stuff and he's just like yeah I don't like music and like <laughs> yeah all that stuff but he's but he's like it, giving his input on how he died and, like yeah that can't be how it works and that kind of thing and, like it's an interesting like back and forth and then like he starts to get angry and she you know, like she leaves the situation and it's you know it, it ends with you know ultimately nobody actually getting hurt but it's it's very scary. Yeah, it start it, it starts to escalate into that kind of like you know he grabs her arm and he's like, "Well, I'm just sorry. Come back and let me tell you. Like, I'll tell you how sorry I am." I'm right. Like, Whoa, this is not good. Yeah. Uh, but he seems Diesel seems to almost be the only one that's like quote unquote normal, uh, in, or or has some of his shit together. I don't really know because she says like, "I'm uncomfortable. I need to leave," and he like, yes. "Oh, okay, sorry." Like he realizes what's happening and he, and and he lets her go. Yeah, lets her go. Yeah, uh, and it's so <laughs> weird. But I, I just wanted to. It's it's so interesting. Like what, this is such a dark dark comedy. Because the the cage sequence happens in the middle, right? It's the second one we see. Yes. And there's this the moment where he's like, you know, do you know what black tourmaline is or whatever? And he's like trying to like woo this girl. Yeah. Uh, and she's like, well, you know, for three hundred dollars, I'll show you a good time. And she like sucks on his finger and then gags. <laughs> and it's like she's trying to be so hot, yes. and it's the funniest. And he just doesn't flinch. And he's like, so I went to Nice with my parents one yes. time. <laughs> And then we get that really scary scene with Diesel, and I was like, "Whoa!" Like this movie is crazy. Yeah, it jumps around in tone and all that stuff. But man, it's it's I love this movie, man. I, it's it's so weird to say that like I really dug this movie, but like it's 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 a great time. It's it really yeah. is. It's nuts. <laughs> it's absolutely nuts. And all anchor around Willem Dafoe. Also, one of my favorite Willem Dafoe touches is when he's um, they're hanging out, and he has he's barefoot, and he's just kind of rubbing the carpet with his feet. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, man, you know, they don't, they don't make carpets like this in the joint or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, that's what he's saying. You cats not freaking out about this? I've been out longer than you guys, and I'm still freaking out about it. What? What is it? Carpeting. Yeah, you know how much bare feet, if you had that privilege in your cell and they didn't notice you wasn't wearing your shower flip-flops in your downtime, all you felt was that cold concrete with boogers and jizz on it this is like dig it man come on man this is sweet this is like like soft chafed pussy you have been locked up a long time you know what I mean Uh, I'll get us a real good gig I'll get us such a good gig take a tits off <laughs> but I love too. Then we, we cut to that like medium shot or whatever. Them sitting there at the buffet in the casino, and there's that one old guy with the oxygen mask. Yes, and I was like, wow. Like I don't know why that that image like just really stuck with me. Right. Of uh, just the you know, that's who's in casinos. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And when they were in the casinos, like actually, I, I thought to myself, like, oh, is this another Vegas movie? Are we in Vegas again? Like, uh, yeah, but actually, turns out this movie takes place in Cleveland. Um, yeah, what a so, twist! <laughs> what a twist! They actually filmed there too, uh, but yeah, didn't didn't realize that. And they, they mentioned it like halfway through, and I was like, oh, 
all right. Um, <laughs> guys, I just assumed Vegas because we've been through like 10 or 15 Vegas movies with Nicolas Cage at this point. Yeah. But yeah, but Cleveland, that's where this movie takes place. Uh, all right. Any other scenes or anything you wanted to uh, bring up in the movie, Mike, before we uh, wrap things up? No, just what a what a sleeper hit this was. I'm so yeah. glad we got to watch this. Yeah, this was a this was a late period cage delight, and I was pretty happy with it. And uh, yeah, Paul Schrader uh, knocked it out of the park with this one, and then knocked it out of the park yeah. again a couple years later with First Reform. So uh, he's kind of on a roll right now. Uh, all right, let's move on to some Letterboxd reviews. Mike got a few reviews here from uh, the Letterboxd uh, website, and this one's a four and a half star review, which reads: From the opening scene, I knew this was special. From the moment Willem Dafoe drunk ranted on Taylor Swift in the strip club, <laughs> I knew this was brilliant. <laughs> From the moment Nicolas Cage said Trap House, I knew this was the dopest film ever put to celluloid <laughs> and is likely the best movie of the century. <laughs> uh, I forgot about that. Uh, yeah, that was pretty great. Here's another four and a half star review from Letterboxd, which reads, Sometimes I think about how there are people out there who will watch this movie and consider the scene where Nick Cage and Willem Dafoe are in their underwear squirting each other with ketchup and mustard in slow motion to be, quote, stupid or (laughs) terrible. (laughs) And it makes me depressed. (laughs) The cure to that depression, though, is being able to watch a scene where Nick Cage and Willem Dafoe are in their underwear squirting each other with ketchup and mustard in slow motion. (laughs) So I guess it all evens out. <laughs> I'm glad that stuck out to a lot of people. It's 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 bizarre, but yeah. Here's another. Here's a four star review, uh, which goes: No more honor among thieves. No more samurai. Uh, saw an interview with Paul Schrader where he said doggy dog structure was like a jazz riff, which I guess is true. If jazz riffs have punk rock interludes where Willem Dafoe bangs rails of coke and shotguns people in the forehead. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah, I think there's there's a sequence where they're driving. It's him and Diesel, and he's like, "Oh, we just got to pull in here so uh, I could do something." And they go into a strip club, and he does a line of coke, and then they leave. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's, <it. laughs> that's pretty great. Uh, here's a four star review that goes: uh, Schrader's Spring Breakers, really, really bizarre. Like if Nicholas Winding Refn directed a Tim Heidecker script. <laughs> Holy shit, that's so yeah. apt. That's yeah, so right? perfect. Nicholas Winding Refn directing a Tim Heidecker script. If that doesn't sell you on this movie, I don't know what will. <laughs> Yeah, basically. Uh, here's a three-star review from Letterboxd, which goes, uh, the whole film, I'm thinking, Defoe is kind of out in the cage. And then, boom, the ending happens, and the cage does cage as only the cage can. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and finally, here's a four-and-a-half-star review uh, from Letterboxd from Doggy Dog, which reads, why is Quentin Tarantino directing a film while wearing a Paul Schrader Edgar suit like the bug in Men in Black? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it all it all makes sense now. It all tracks now. It's Quentin Tarantino in the weird Vincent D'Onofrio bug suit from Men in Black. It all it all came full circle. Mm-hmm. You know that doesn't make sense, but yes. Well, uh, Tarantino is almost in this, so I'll say it counts. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, all right, so yeah, that is Doggy Dog, and it's available on Netflix right now. And uh, we both think it's a blast, and uh, yeah. that's always kind of rare for a, a late period video on demand Nicolas Cage movie. So uh, definitely worth checking out. We think, right? Yeah, it's the 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 beginnings of the the cage of sounds, or you know, the, you can see where that's coming soon. Right, we had the trust, now we have dog eat dog, and uh, in we're gonna have arsenal soon, right? Yeah, that's, can't wait, can't Super wait pumped. for that one, can't wait. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're gonna have Mandy on the way, and Spider Verse, and uh, Mom and Dad, and uh, some other cool stuff too. So yeah, definitely yeah. looking forward to those. Uh, Mike, where can we find you online this week? You can find me at MD Film Blog on Twitter and on Letterboxd. Uh, at Blog, And you can find me on Letterboxd at uh, Mike Smith Film, and I'm uh, at M Smith Film Blog on Twitter. Uh, and that is going to wrap things up for The Complete Works this week. Thank you for listening to The Complete Works. I'm Mike Smith. That's Mike DiCrescio. If you're listening on iTunes, or even if you're not, uh, make sure to rate and review us. Five stars would be nice. And tell people you know about the show if you can. I just realized, I, I always say if you're listening on iTunes, and Apple is discontinuing iTunes. It doesn't exist anymore. Um, so I guess I should change that to Apple Podcasts, right? I guess Apple Podcasts. Yeah. I guess Apple Podcasts should be what that should be. But yeah. Uh, so in the next episode, I'm going to fix that in the copy. But yeah. Uh-huh. In, in the meantime, that's what it is. Uh, if you want to contact us, you can do so by emailing NicholasCageCompleteWorks at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. On the next Complete Works, very excited for this one, Nicholas Cage is on the hunt for Osama Bin Laden in the, in the 2016 comedy Army of One. Uh, I really wanted to see this when it came out, and I never did. Uh, so I'm very excited to, uh, to finally check it out. Yeah, what a, a – that's such a, a crazy sentence you just said where it's on the hunt for Osama Bin Laden in the 2017 comedy – Yes. <laughs> One man army. 
Interesting. Uh, 2016 comedy. 2016. Oh, Ar- man, I got I got excited. Army of One is the name of the movie. Uh, yeah, pretty excited about this one. It's actually directed by Larry Charles, who uh, used to work on Seinfeld, Group Enthusiasm, was director of Borat. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, so uh, it's got it's got a pretty cool cast. Russell Brand, Paul Shear, and a couple other people, too. So, yeah, Army of One. That's the next movie. Actually, it opened on the same day as Dog Eat Dog. What? Weirdly, or it was released on the same day as Dog Eat Dog. So I think they were both video-on-demand uh, releases. Oh, uh, okay. Um, Interesting. Yeah, they both, so that's kind of a weird uh, cage double. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Plus, keep an eye out for the next Mike and Mike Go to the Movies, uh, where we're going to be talking Toy Story 4. And uh, I'm actually kind of excited about this one now. I was so worried. I was. Yeah, you were nervous. I was a nervous wreck. <laughs> <laughs> for for the as soon as they announced they were making Toy Story four, which was like four or five years ago, uh, I have been on edge <laughs> that entire time. So I'm just like, what? Like, why? Why would they do that? Toy Story three ends things so well. I, I don't know how they, how this could work. Um, but but reviews have started coming in, and they are mostly pretty positive. So uh, I am actually looking forward to this movie now. And uh, yeah, that is going to be our next episode. Might might go to the movies. Uh, thanks so much for listening, guys, and thanks for getting in the cage. I remember being in a very intense room. I believe it was Isabella Rossellini, David Lynch, Bernardo Bertolucci, uh, Willem, myself, and I, 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 I was having like a panic attack because it was just such an intense group of people, and I had to actually excuse myself. And then I heard through the door someone saying, he's, he's wound a little tight. I think Bernardo Bertolucci <laughs> said he's wound a little tight. And then David Lynch said, yes, he is wound a little tight. I had to get home. But then I got the flip side of that because I remember uh, there was like one of these dinners, Power Room, and Nick got up and sang Love Me Tender. And he did it well. And Gilles Jacob looked at him with such love. And I thought, Nick's Nick's really, he's an entertainer. He's, He's an entertaining guy. And he's charming. I could never do that. That was probably the most embarrassing night of my life because I, they, the, the president put me up to it, said, get up on the table right now and sing the song. And David said, Nickster, he would call me that, that stupid name, Nickster. He said, get up on the table and sing Love Me Tender to the president of the festival and his wife. And uh, I, I remember I was so nervous, I could barely get it out. It was like a dry, a dry eggshell voice cracking. And all I could see was Willem in the corner of my eye going like this. No.